I think being off social media is just as bad as spending all of your time on social media because that removes you from the significant portion of society and opportunities for yourself. I think not having a strategy behind your social media is just as bad, again, as not spending any time on social or spending nonstop on social. The in-between is this beautiful thing where you could be productive, make more money, connect with more people, inspire more people. Welcome to Winning Streaks. I'm your host, Tanvir Mustafa, and every week I get deep into the stories and strategies of experts, champions, business moguls, and industry leaders to find out how you can win the day and win at life. If you're committed to never settling for the status quo and consistently challenging yourself to new heights, then this is the show for you. In return, I commit to bringing you insightful, practical, and no BS conversations that will help you create your next big win. If you love basketball or if you're trying to figure out this whole social media thing, then this is the episode for you. Remember to share this on social if something resonates with you or send it off to a friend who you think might benefit from it. Buster Share is an internet sports personality known best for founding the basketball Instagram account Hoops Nation. The account has earned more than 1 million followers both for his regular photos and updates and for his live stream talk show. He also has a popular personal Instagram at Buster Share. He's played 2K with NBA stars, done partnerships with NBA all-stars like Jamal Murray, Chris Middleton, to name a few, and worked with players like Eric Gordon and J.R. Smith as well. He even had the opportunity to intern for Gary Vaynerchuk at the age of 16, and now he's a social media whiz. I would highly recommend giving him a follow on Instagram and connecting with him on LinkedIn. His content is just, it's always on point. Buster knows how to win. Let's find out how he does it. Buster, thanks so much for coming on to Winning Streaks. I'm so happy to have you on the show. I've been following your stuff for a long time, and it's uh, really good to finally chat. Thanks, man. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you for having me. All right, let's dive right into it. We're fresh off a Lakers NBA championship. This one was, was definitely different, given the bubble and everything that happened this year. What were your thoughts on just the whole playoff scene and what went on? Super curious to get your thoughts there. Man, I'm, I'm so impressed and just proud to be an NBA fan because they went into the bubble, the first sports league to come back, and they did it successfully. No other professional sports league had zero COVID cases. Zero. And there were 6,500 people inside the NBA bubble. You know, obviously, I'm a Knicks fan. My team wasn't even, wasn't anywhere near the bubble. But for those who were... I am very proud to be a fan of the NBA as a whole. And, you know, the postseason was, was great. And congrats to the Lakers and LeBron and everybody. I was rooting for them from the beginning because uh, it just seemed, seemed like the right year for the Lakers to win. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. happy it, uh, it turned out that way. It definitely did. Obviously, ever since the passing of late great Kobe Bryant in January, for me, since then, it was just kind of like a hashtag for Kobe year, yeah. you know, for the Lakers type thing. And to get that and, for me personally, he just meant a lot to me. Every listener on the show knows that, you know, if they listen to this, they know how much Kobe Bryant meant to me. And for that to happen was huge. I love just being able to have basketball talk with you because this is fun. But I know the GOAT conversation happens a lot. It's always a nice barber shop talk to happen. 
Where do you think this puts LeBron James in the grand scheme of things? You know, LeBron has before this been number one on my list as a player. As a pure player, I think he's bigger, faster, stronger, better shooter than Michael ever was. Michael had, had a level of toughness and inability to lose that LeBron does not have. Michael mm-hmm. had a better career than LeBron, hands down. Even if LeBron wins six titles, Michael will still have had a better career than LeBron. Mike played far fewer seasons and was virtually perfect. Competition aside, because I don't even want to compare the 90s to the 2010s or anything like that. Competition aside, as a player, LeBron's better as a, as a professional and as a professional basketball player who, you know, looking at, at it from a career standpoint, Michael had a more impressive career. Mm-hmm. But as a player, it goes LeBron, Mike. I might even put Kobe above Mike mm-hmm. in the sense of as a player. But again, career, Mike is above everybody. Right. And I think we don't give a lot of, enough credit, at least at large, we don't give LeBron enough credit for what he does off the court just as much as he does on the court. You know, like there's so much to say about that guy when it comes to, you know, the I Promise School and social activism and, you know, being a good family man and being a great teammate and, and all those things. You'll rarely hear anyone say a bad thing about LeBron James. I mean, speak of comparing... You know, I think I think Mike uh, Michael Jordan is doing a lot better now, but mm-hmm. you know, there's no comparison. There. I mean, there aren't comparisons between any major athletes ever in the history of the world. And LeBron, LeBron is the perfect example of what a superstar athlete should use his platform for, and he does it. He does everything right. I'm the biggest fan of LeBron off the court. Yeah, <laughs> and on too, as long as he's not playing the Knicks. Yeah, no doubt. He's a, he's a phenomenal role model for, for young people growing up and young aspiring basketball players growing up to, to look up to. Now, getting more into the, into the meat of this conversation even more, you and I, actually, I'm not sure if you remember, but you and I got the chance to kind of play at the YMCA last year. I remember, yeah. Just around the time of the um, Toronto was in the finals at that time, I believe. We had a good run, a couple of runs in the Y. But I remember there was this crazy, insane story about how you got to the finals, I think, and like how you yeah. got to a seat at the game. What was that? Do you recall what happened? Yeah, I'm just an idiot, pretty much. That's <laughs> kind of the crux of the story, but the actual story is pretty funny. So a buddy who has uh, season tickets courtside baseline for the Raptors is one of my good friends. He reached out a few days before game two and asked if I would come to Toronto. The answer was immediately yes at all costs. So I, I immediately booked a ticket. I'm going to be there. I fly in the morning of the game. I think he let me know Friday, or he might have even let me know the day before. And I was there. I'll be there. I book a ticket for the Sunday morning. The game is Sunday night in Toronto. I'm flying out of you know JFK in New York. It's like an hour and a half, two hour maybe flight. Right. My flight's at like 7 a.m., I go to bed the night before. I wake up at 10 a.m. So I wake up in the morning and I'm like, it's really bright outside. Let me check my phone. I'm sure everything's fine. I look at it. It says 10. I have like just the biggest panic attack. I'm like, what the hell did I do? So I immediately immediately throw my stuff in a bag, head to the airport, see if there's anything I can do. And meanwhile, 
you know, my buddy and, and Swish, who's Kuen as well, they assumed that I was in Toronto at that time. Right. And they called me and, I, and they were like, where are you? Because I was supposed to meet up with them for like lunch or breakfast or whatever it was. And I was like, I'm, I'm in the States, my guys. <laughs> you know, yeah. so... I get to the airport. I ask them if I can get put on another flight. And they're like, you're over two and a half hours late for your flight. We can't do anything for you. Mm-hmm. And I was like, for another flight? And they're like, no, there are no more flights direct to Toronto. Uh, yeah. What's, what is the next? What's, what can I do? And they're like, you can fly to Detroit and see if you can get a flight there. No guarantees. Um, so I fly to Detroit like two hours now, like 2 p.m., for 7 p.m. tip-off in another country. <laughs> I'm in Detroit, and I'm able to get a ticket to Toronto, right? So I get a ticket, leaves in like an hour. So now it's 3 p.m. for a 7 p.m. game, and uh, delay. So it gets delayed once. We get on the plane. Mm-hmm. They delay again. They say, you guys, you know when you're on a plane, and they're like, all right, you can get off the plane if you want. You know it's going right. to be. They're like, you can get off the plane, go get a snack, and come back. You right. have time. An hour later, inbound in Toronto. Oh my goodness! There too many flights coming into Toronto. I don't know if it had anything to do with the finals. I imagine it did. Yeah. But there were a lot of planes heading into Toronto. It's now 4 p.m. for a 7 p.m. game, and finally we take off at like 4:30. It's fortunately only like an hour-long flight, but get in at like 5:30 for a 7 p.m. game. I have to go through customs still. So I get yeah. out through all that at like 6.20. I, I, I don't know my way around Toronto, so I got to figure out a way onto a train, go drop off my bags at my buddy's place. And if you ask Wish or our other friend, Jack, you know, they were waiting in the lobby of the apartment building, uh, which is a couple blocks from, from the arena at, 620 and i was like guys i'm close i'm close and i make it there at like 645 with all my bags quickly drop off all my stuff we head to the arena we're on time that is my final story that should have been really seamless and painless and i left out all of the stress and thinking that there's a chance that i'm missing courtside seats at the nba finals but the again the crux of it is just that uh i'm an idiot and i've learned better i have learned better since then Usually, I don't go to bed the night before morning flight. That is, that's what I've what I've learned. Sometimes it's just better to suffer through it. <laughs> Smart tactics. Talk and talking about hitting a game winner. I mean, making it just just in time or buzzer beater, making it just in time for the game. Do you remember which game it was that you went to? It was game two. They lost, <laughs> but gotcha. it was great. It was an amazing experience, nonetheless. And I had no stake in the game. I'm a Knicks fan. Yeah, I went to game five. Um, Again, they lost right at the right at the end there in the fourth, and it was just it was heartbreaking. But you know we won it all in the end, so I'm, I was pretty happy about that. You've built just you know this incredible brand on on social media, offline. You know you've worked with NBA stars like Chris Middleton, Jamal Murray, Eric Gordon, J.R. Smith, um, just so many guys out there, and, and built a crazy Instagram following of more than one million followers for Hoops Nation. Where did that journey start for Buster? It started back when I decided to start blogging about fantasy basketball on Facebook. I started blogging about fantasy basketball, then slowly realized I could broaden it out a little bit more and more. 
So I was doing that. And simultaneously, when I moved to Connecticut, I decided that I was going to get into broadcasting. And my high school, my local high school had a radio station, just like for the 30,000 person town or whatever. So we could broadcast. I started out doing girls field hockey. Girls, not varsity field hockey, junior varsity field hockey. That was my, uh, that was my really started off at the top. (laughs) I saw I was doing like JV girls field hockey in the pouring rain and nobody was listening, but that experience combined with doing the fancy basketball stuff online really gave me this combined experience in social and broadcasting, which ended up opening a lot of doors later as I started moving up and broadcasting to like boys and girls state championship for basketball and, you know, starting Hoops Nation and doing Facebook Live stuff. So that's kind of the, uh, the very short origin story of how it started for me. And so, you know, Taking it back to to that to the source where you started it all, what drove you, I guess, to keep going? You know, I think a lot of people start and stop, but you've carried this thing since you've been like what sixteen or younger yeah. to to now. What made you feel like okay, I want to keep pursuing this, keep going after it? Because you know, a lot of people they 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 have something, but then they let's say go to college, university, you know, jump into a career, but you didn't even. I mean, to my understanding, you didn't. You dropped out like you didn't even go to college university. Yeah, I didn't even apply. Yeah. So walk me through that that kind of thought process that you took there. Yeah, I had nothing to lose, right? So I in high school I had no overhead. So I was building something at no cost. There were no expenses. So it didn't matter if I made any money. And that's mm-hmm. really important for younger kids. When you have no overhead, you could do things that other people can't do. And you could build a foundation for companies that other people can't because you have mm-hmm literally infinite, you know, per se, sweat equity. And then it comes at no cost to you. You know, you live at your parents' house, you know, if you're fortunate and that's that. Maybe you do summer jobs or other things or you plan a sports team. I didn't. I think one of the big things for me was I tried out for my JV basketball team and I didn't make it. Okay. And that was at the time very upsetting, but in the long run a great thing because if I had made the team I probably would have been playing left bench and I'm, I was much happier broadcasting the game in the end, which I, I later realized, but you know, in, in essence, the reason that I kept going is because I had nothing to lose and I enjoyed it. You got to, you got to do what you're passionate about because you're not going to continue doing it when nobody cares about it otherwise. So, you know, that time you had no overhead, but for people, let's say who are slightly older. Yeah whether they're working a job or in university or just fresh out of college, you know, what advice would you have for them in terms of, you know, either trying to start and build a business or start and build a brand? What would you say to them? I would subtract all of the things that they love out of their, let me, let me explain it this way. Right. Like, let's say I was in school, right? So 7am to 3pm I'm in school. The other hours were when I was able to really focus in on this. If you have any job, no matter what hours it requires, there are other hours in the day. And, you know, you should just, you know, if you're really passionate about building something on the side and not fundraising or or going a different route, like really building it with sweat equity or things like that, Mm -hmm. I would remove everything non-essential that you love. So I would remove eating out. I would remove watching TV. I would remove playing video games. I would remove different things. And I would, you know, add just to get better at everything. I would add 
I would replace some of those things with working out or eating healthy and then take the, all those extra hours and put that into your thing. Because as silly and as awful as removing those things and adding those other things sounds, it really works. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. No, of course. I mean, to me, it's almost like a math thing purely. And, you know, that's why I do these podcasts outside of hours, just kind of add up the hours and you keep on honing that skill and improving and improving the brand. And, you know, you're not the first person I've heard say about that. There's one other by the name of Gary V that preaches that a lot, using those extra hours in the day to do your thing on the side. And you had the unique opportunity of interning for VaynerMedia at the age of 16. How on earth does that happen? Yeah. So long story. When I was younger, I was obsessed. I was obsessed with going to like events, just sports. And there were even some like venture capital events that I would go to through, you know, all these different people that I was meeting at the events, all, all different places. And I met someone at one of the events who connected me to somebody, connected me to somebody else. And I ended up sitting down with Seth Godin. And Seth Godin was the first person who told me I wasn't going to go to college. He told me at 15, when wow. I wasn't even like a thought, I was just breaking down everything that I was doing, 15, 16. I was breaking down everything I was doing, explained everything. Awesome guy. Really, really smart. Wicked. Why do you think he told you that? I apologize for interjecting, but I'm really curious of why you might have brought that up in the moment and tell a 15-year-old, you know, kid, you're not going to college. I told him I hated school. And he told <laughs> me that I had to guess you're not going to go to college. Mm, got it. And and that that was kind of the context around that. But I told him that I had found this guy that I really liked. His name was Gary. And actually, I think I had met Gary because I went. I I sat in on a Columbia graduate class that Gary spoke at when I was fifteen, sixteen. And at the end of it, I went up and introduced myself to Gary. You can actually find the video. It's in one of his old daily, daily V's or whatever, daily vlogs, you can find the moment that I just walked up to him and introduced myself. And there had been prior interactions, like I'd ask questions on his show or whatever. Right. But I went up to him, introduce myself. We had a few mutual friends. So I said that he's like, come by the office sometime. I never did. Um, but then I told Seth, Seth sent Gary an email on my behalf. Wow. And that, that opened the door pretty easily. But, but yeah, that, that's, that's how that happened. It was a really great experience. It was cool being like the youngest person at that 700 person company. So mm -hmm. really awesome experience. And I'm grateful for all those guys. And Gary is one of the main reasons why I didn't go to college as well. It gave me a lot of confidence, not even directly, indirectly it gave me a lot of confidence, mm -hmm. you know, not, not to go. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. And I think the skill that a skill that's extremely underrated is just the ability to go up to people and ask questions. You know, some of the, some of my most profound moments have been in those times where it's like, you see somebody doing something that you like, or you re admire, you respect, and you just have the chutzpah to like email them and ask a question or, you know, go up to them and ask a question. And, you know, that's part of the reason why I do this podcast, bring on guys like, you know, yourself and be able to ask the questions that I want to understand more and learn more and, you know, potentially to lead things into the future as well. And you've, you've like on social media, you've just really elevated your brand, not just on Instagram, but you're starting to do it on LinkedIn as well. And LinkedIn is something that we've talked a lot about on the show. And you post to my understanding, like 10 times a day, 
which I yeah, like every uh, time I open up LinkedIn, I'm like, wow, this guy is like hustling on, on this platform. What's with the move or what's with the kind of recent love for LinkedIn? I've been wanting to make my personal brand much more professional. I have realized that my basketball trick shots will only get me so far. <laughs> and uh, I realized that, you know, like I've always been doing, um, yeah, I've always been the same person. I've been doing consulting. I've helped people build their business. I've built my own businesses. Mm-hmm. I never talked about it. And that's some of the stuff that I'm most passionate about beyond sports cards and entrepreneurship and business in general. I decided to start talking about it on Instagram. And it's the best place apart from YouTube, LinkedIn. Um, so I started just posting on LinkedIn, very quickly realized how, how much potential there is on the platform, how few people have, you know, in excess of 100,000 followers on there compared to Instagram, yet how big the user base is, 400 million active users, mm-hmm. active or whatever. And I just started going in. And then I started reaching out, connecting with all the LinkedIn influencers, I call them, um, and hearing their perspective and our perspectives align. So I pretty much decided that I was going to do 10 posts a day. And it's funny, I used to have somebody running my LinkedIn, but I do it all myself now. Yeah, it definitely feels a lot more personal. I can certainly tell the difference. I hope you don't mind. I actually stole one of your posts. I think it was about like, don't post for like, I was doing a presentation to a university class, screenshotted your post, which is about posting for, not for like engagement, but because it's like you like to post about it. I can't remember exactly what the words were, but. Regardless, you can steal my post any day of the week. I'm honored. (laughs) I appreciate it. No, I thought it was incredibly profound. I think a lot of people are especially with Instagram. And I don't know if you watched the social dilemma. Have you, have you seen it? Yeah, I saw it. Right. Just the feedback loop of getting a like or getting a comment and what that does to your brain and what that does for you. You're constantly seeking that dopamine head and trying to, you know, seek more and find more of that. But the moment that you can kind of separate yourself from that and post for the sake of delivering valuable content and not getting necessarily engaging, you know, likes and comments all the time, that's when you start really kind of taking off in a personal brand perspective. Um, is that your take or would you have like a slightly different view on it? I mean, I think that is, that is quite literally my take. Um, <laughs> no, it's a hundred percent true. You have to, you can only do what you're interested in because, you know, if there comes a point where even if you're successful at what you don't enjoy, the dopamine kick will dry up, right? Let's say, no offense to the booty models out there, but let's mm. say a model is just doing it for the likes and not because they enjoy going out and taking photos in nature or whatever it may be. That, will, that, that kick is eventually going to hit a point where 20, 30, 40, 50, 100,000, 300,000 likes doesn't mean anything. Right. And unless they can pivot that and turn it into something else that they are passionate about, which is super doable, especially if you have that level of an audience, but that's you know very, very, very small percentage. Somebody smaller, they're much better off going another direction where they will have less success in the first three, four, five years than mm-hmm. doing the thing that they will have lots of success immediately that they won't enjoy and they'll burn out and die from. Right. It's so crazy that you say that. Like I got I got a message the other day on LinkedIn and I was like, wow, this is exactly why I do it the way I do it, which is you know, I got a message being like, Hey man, like I watch your content like all the time, but I don't necessarily hit the like button just out of habit. Like it's just how I 
browse social media, but wanted to tell you that I love your content and keep it up. And I was like, wow, like that's so true. There's probably a lot of people out there that scroll past my content. They love it, but they don't necessarily engage with it because that's kind of like something that we've taught. It's like, oh, you just because somebody likes something, it means that, you know, they love it. Or if they don't like it, that means they don't love it, which isn't necessarily always the case. But like measuring the platforms or comparing the platforms. to One, one thing really quick I'll add to that. Somebody could literally not like your post because they told their girlfriend they were asleep and they didn't want them to see that they were still up awake on social media liking things. Like there are a million reasons why somebody wouldn't like your post that have nothing to do with your post. It's true. And then adding on to that, you made a post recently, which I was like, man, that's so true, which is how to survive on social media. Just assume <laughs> that everyone is having a very bad day. The worst day. What was that DM that you got? It was something about how I'm the most like annoying person on all of Instagram, which honestly, if I can be the most anything on Instagram, I take it as a compliment, but, and that I had to be blocked immediately, but he didn't block me either. It was this very confusing narrative that I was thrown at by uh, the direct message. And it gave me free content. Yeah. It was beautiful. Like, honestly, there's nothing better than somebody saying something like interesting like that in DMs or something unique because mm -hmm. I can screenshot it and it's free content, bro. The dude gave me like content. He gave you gold. Yeah. You're even asking me about it. How powerful is that, man? Instead of like me feeling bad about it or just like leaving it in the DMs and moving on, I mm -hmm. turned it into content and it's hilarious because of how ridiculous some of these things are. Yeah. And it happens to everybody. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's a great way of looking at it. Just assume everyone's having kind of like a very bad day. But going into, especially with the release of the social dilemma recently and, you know, the state of social media, as we continue to see individuals rising poor mental health and, you know, depression rates, as I was talking about this on my last episode as well, where, especially for someone like you, who is like often on social media, like very frequently on social media and you built your business and your brand off of social media, where do you think the balance lies between using it and being on it and not being tied to it? It's a really tricky one, right? Especially for somebody who is as in love with understanding things, you know, like I'm sure you are. I definitely am myself because I can't just go on social media for purpose. If I only went on social media for purpose, I would end up falling very behind when it comes to digital social strategy which is something that, you know, one of my business, you know, levels is, is consulting people and telling them what to do. Mm -hmm. So for me, passively spending time on social media does help and teach certain things. And you just got to be in tune because these platforms are changing so frequently. But in addition to that, I am always trying to find ways to spend less time on social media. The problem is it is such a great tool for communication. So you end up getting sucked back into it and you end up spending a lot more time than, than you wish. But again, just trying to be better every day about being super productive. And, and I do spend that passive time making sure it's, it's efficient and not watching, you know, the same video over and over again mm -hmm. or looking at something I shouldn't be looking at, whatever it may be, you know, looking at the banners hanging in Boston and LA and wishing that they were at Madison Square Garden. Yeah. That's not a productive, it's not a productive use of my time. In terms of for most people out there, minimize, bro. Minimize. Yeah. It ain't doing the good you think it is. Yeah. It's a very fine line 
for me, especially, I post a lot of content about this podcast. So I post a lot of this stuff on Instagram, but from time to time, I'm like, man, I should just take like a month off or like as X much time off because there are times or moments where it's like when you're reaching for your phone and it's not even there, then you know, it's bad. When you like get a ping on your phone and you're like, I got to see that notification right away. That's like, then in my opinion, like that's bad. Like that's a sort of, I don't want to say addiction, but it's just like this reflex. I remember reading this book called Atomic Habits and there's like for certain habits, there's a reminder, which is like a cue, which is like the ping on your phone. There's the routine, which is like opening up the, or the action, which is like opening up the phone and going into it. And then, you know, you're engaging with the content and that's delving even deeper so that you get that dopamine hit to bring you back to it again. It's a super fine line. And I think stuff like turning off your notifications, what advice would you have for individuals maybe trying to not necessarily separate themselves from social media, but just balance that fine line a bit more? I think being off social media is just as bad as spending all of your time on social media because that removes you from the significant portion of society and opportunities for yourself. I think not having a strategy behind your social media is just as bad, again, as not spending any time on social or spending nonstop on social. The the in-between is this beautiful thing where you can be productive, make more money, connect with more people, inspire more people, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, pretty much everybody's goals at the end of the day. And, you know, in terms of how to minimize it, make it more productive, you started off saying, you know, do not disturb. That's an easy one. For me, it's like going to bed early, like not being on an hour before bed, like not being on my phone when I'm working out, like keep it like at distance when I'm not, when I'm doing things. And if you're doing things and you're busy, spend a lot of time outside. Like those are things, those are very real things that will make you happier, healthier, and spend less time on your phone. Mm-hmm. Love that. So because I'm selfish um, and because I want to learn more about how to elevate not just my brand, but the brand of this podcast as well, and maybe to kind of give an example to people listening about what they should do if they want to take their business and execute a social media strategy or take their personal brand and execute a social media strategy. Let's just say for this podcast, you know, maybe I'm asking for too much, but what would be your strategy to grow and continue to build something like this on social? I think the most underrated thing that podcasts can do is make a YouTube clips channel because the way the algorithm works, you could use my name in the title of this video talking about how YouTube clips are underrated and it will show up underneath videos that I uploaded. That is an unreal strategy. Imagine if you tagged, if you posted on Instagram or I posted on Instagram and I tagged you and now my post appeared underneath all of your posts or, you know, all of LeBron's posts because I t- congratulated him on the championship. That would be insane. Right. That's literally how YouTube works. So there's no better platform for building an audience around a podcast is than, than YouTube. But like I'm posting on LinkedIn 10 times a day about whatever the hell I'm thinking. <laughs> and I ask for what I want. Like, you know, and I think that's what's a beautiful thing as well. And, and I'll always trying to provide, give more than take. But, but yeah, in terms of the podcast, YouTube clips, bro, and Reddit. Reddit's a really interesting oddball one, depending on how much time you have per episode. If I had unlimited time and unlimited people, I would be posting everything and posting clips and subreddits under miscellaneous accounts. That's good to know. I'm gonna see Reddit is something that I've like discovered 
not discovered, like I knew about it before, but I've only actually downloaded Reddit on my phone and like started roughly looking at it since like a couple of months ago, like six months ago, not even. And it's crazy, the communities and, you know, the, the fanship that you can build on there. I'm not necessarily saying I have yet, but I just see what other people have done and it's pretty nuts. And I appreciate that advice. That's definitely something that I'm going to execute on. So I appreciate that. When it comes to, and I know we talked about obviously creating content that you love and, and, you know, you're passionate about, and that's why you post the content, but you, you post some really phenomenal content, man. Things that get engaged on, you know, um, things that people can kind of rally behind and, and you build fanship and, and things like that. What's your advice around building, engaging, relatable audience building content? Authenticity. You know, if I was trying to do it, if I was trying to do that, I wouldn't do it. <laughs> but the fact that I posted today about my favorite strawberry banana smoothie on LinkedIn, like nobody cares about that. And that is exactly why I posted it. And I, I think people always try to act like they are more professional than they are. People always try to act like they are something more than they are. And I think that's the wall that most people run into because they act like somebody they're not to try to impress somebody by being somebody that they're not, you know, more professional, whatever. And then it comes back to bite them in the butt because they aren't who they are. And nobody likes somebody like that. And people like people bragging who, who, like who they are and, you know, sharing their interests, however weird they, they may be. Yeah. Yes. That's the wall that most people run into, I think. And I think that's why I love your content. So like anyone listening to the show, you got to follow Buster on, on LinkedIn, just cause like, I find that people just are trying so hard to achieve perfectionism on social media. And that creates such a bad example and like such a poor kind of like uh, model of what people's lives really are like. I remember I saw this thing with the UK is trying to implement a law where they show that on specific photos. Like it's Photoshop, so that way you know oh, that. I saw, I posted that on Instagram. It's so dope. I'm such a fan of that. Yeah, yeah. Genius. Absolutely. And I think that should be more authenticism, if that's even a word, um, I think would have immense value on social media. Like a mix between athleticism and authenticity. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Great mix. And I hope we see that. You know, I, I hope we see that happen. I hope we see more people being raw and real on social just because, you know, everyone doesn't have these perfect lives. And sometimes like, man, I go on Twitter and like Twitter is a finicky platform because not finicky as in like the way it's created, but you get super cool things like Adrian Wojnarowski, like, man, love that guy's tweets. Right. But then I just see people having wars and like threads and I'm like, man, this is, this is getting out of hand and I'm not sure how to like mentally, like I'm not sure how to deal with it. Cause I'm like, I'm not happy about where I'm seeing these things go. You know what I mean? Do you think the future of social is, perhaps maybe not great going in the greatest direction or what are your thoughts on what the future of social media looks like? I think it's the same question as what do I think about the future of humanity? There mm. will be good people. There will be bad people. Wherever people are, there will be both. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm confident that the bad people will eventually be weeded out because they won't achieve the levels of success that the good people will and slowly over the long-term evolution of human the bad people people who don't treat other people nicely people who disrespect and are mean to other people who don't respect people for their 
you know, race, religion, whatever it may be, those people will slowly get weeded out. Mm. I'm hopeful too, man. I'm hopeful too. And hopefully we do see more of that happening. Now on a quick, maybe scaling for yourself, like when you can take all the, you know, social media apps, including TikTok, the big recent one, how are you grading them all? Where do you think, you know, the great opportunity is right now, et cetera, et cetera. Like what's your, what's your letter grade for each and why? It all depends on who you are. You could be an F for every platform or an A for one platform, you know? Like if I'm me, I'm looking at LinkedIn, YouTube, Instagram is my top three right now. If uh, as like the ones that I'm interested in the most, if I'm Charlie D'Amelio, I'm looking at TikTok, Triller, and Instagram. Mm. If I'm my grandfather, I'm looking at Facebook, YouTube, and NewYorkTimes.com. <laughs> <laughs> it, it all just depends on on who you are. Yeah, absolutely. You can kind of pick your medium as it suits you. Like you said, when you're trying to build more of a professional brand, LinkedIn is the one for you. But I know, like, I think you posted something about you put a Hoops Nation on TikTok and you got to like X amount of followers within X amount of time. What happened there? Just being an early adopter to the platform. You know, it took, I think in that post, I, I posted that it took three years to get Hoops Nation to a million and three months to get a Hoops Nation on TikTok, three million. So, yeah. <laughs> that's just crazy statistics man it's nuts okay great no this is super super valuable let's jump into the quick wins segment of the episode what is your most valuable possession interesting question uh my phone probably beyond that i don't know man i would say a sports card but i'm so detached from each individual one because i'm so eager to sell them all but uh yeah i'd probably say my phone or apple watch I'm going to take a quick pause from the quick win segment just because I did want to ask you about this trading card thing because I see you posting about it. I see Swish posting about it. You know, Logan Paul freaking did this stream where like millions and millions of people were watching him open like $150,000 Charizard card and everyone's falling in love with Pokemon again. Like what is this trading card thing and is it a viable investment option and where do I start? (laughs) Yeah, so Pokemon launched in 1999, actually launched in 1995 in Japan, launched in US in 1999. The Pokemon cards that everybody's going crazy about right now are the first edition Pokemon cards from 1999, the base set when it launched here in the States. And a Charizard, first edition, PSA 10, Logic just paid $220,000 for one. So the, the prices are really wild. And for example, if you, uh, Pikachu card, Let's say you could buy a Pikachu Red Cheeks PSA 10 first edition, the best one, for 1200 bucks in March. Now you can't get one for under 10000 Get out. What? Pretty much every Pokemon card is 10x in the last five months. Is it a viable investment going forwards? Certain things are. Certain things are. Pretty safe if you're buying a first edition card. The problem is they're all just so dang expensive right now. But... You know, Pokemon is, is really interesting and it's been a lot of fun to see this meteoric rise and um, I'm happy that I've been able to get some of my friends in it and talk about it publicly and, you know, it advise people. But, uh, but yeah, it's definitely not too late. I will say that. <laughs> definitely not too late. It, the best thing I would buy now, I mean, first edition base is, is pretty surefire as long as you're paying market or below market. Yeah, that, that's about it. But it's not too late. 
not too late. What, what led to that? Because I remember Gary talking about it back in January, February. But what led to the like <laughs> pop off all of a sudden after so many years now in 2020 in the middle of a pandemic, Pokemon cards are taking off? Like what? what? So basketball cards started it all. And they started mm. popping in like January, February quarantine everybody's at home looking through their old stuff at home buying things selling things the last dance documentary on michael jordan skyrocketed michael jordan memorabilia lebron kobe everybody kind of followed suit after that and then a lot of people just started getting on the pokemon train i published a video you know with a few people uh big pokemon experts in must have been june and then, you know, from there, that got like a very, 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 very minuscule amount of attention in the Pokemon community. And then some bigger people started doing it. Gary started talking more about Pokemon. Uh, Gary bought a PSA 10 Charizard for a lot less than it's worth right now. Got a grant to him, obviously. Yeah. Um, one of 137 people who own one. Or fewer people who own one, but one of 137 or 136 who, who are out there. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and yeah, man, uh, just really happy and it's been awesome to see. I'll definitely be asking you more questions about that afterwards, but that's, that's awesome. Just out of curiosity, let's say you're the next GM. What are the next three big moves you make to, to get this team into hopefully, you know, some championship glory? You know, it's, it's not a one-year, one-move type thing. I'm not a good enough scout to even realize who's going to be legit, although I love Mellow Ball. It's more of uh, letting guys know that New York is a good place. Uh, you know, free agents, those off-season meetings. You know, LeBron wanted to come to the Knicks in 2010. And they screwed up the meeting, man. Right. They didn't do a good job. Kevin Durant was open to coming to the Knicks, and they didn't do a good job. Nobody wanted to. Right. They didn't want to do it. They didn't want to come to the Garden and play. And that is one of the things that I would, I would change that perception because the Knicks, it is an amazing franchise. It is an amazing team. It is the world's most famous and greatest arena. And New York fans are the best. So mm-hmm. those are the key things that I would remind people of. And if, you're, if you can win in New York, it's pretty much equivalent to like winning five championships anywhere else. Yeah, that would be massive. And there's always a lure and attraction to winning under those MSG lights. You know, it's, it's always incredible. This has been this has been a great episode, Buster. I think, especially you know, diving into the social media piece, being able to talk basketball with you has been truly a pleasure. If there was one parting tip or piece of advice that you'd offer for my listeners to get their next big win, what would that be? Stop eating bread and stop eating sugar. Those are the two biggest ones for me. I started doing that at the beginning of quarantine. Just cut out bread and sugar out of my diet in its entirety, and bigger, better than working out even. Yeah, and you're freaking shredded um, now. You look shredded, that's for sure. Appreciate it. Thank you, bro. <laughs> uh, Buster Sherry, it's been a real pleasure uh, having you on Winning Streaks. And, you know, I know you're going to keep on winning out there. I'm, I'm excited to keep following your content. Where can people follow you and keep in touch? I mean, if you're listening to this podcast in the first year of release, definitely connect with me on LinkedIn. I still, I accept everybody's requests. I am very adamant about that. So, that's the best place. Personally connected me. I will personally accept it. Uh, LinkedIn, Buster Share. Awesome. I'll be sure to, to put those links. I'll also be, be sure to you know, link Hoop Nation. Thanks again, Buster. It's been a great time. Awesome. Thank you, brother.